This podcast is brought to you by Tower Avenue Tavern, located at 405 Tower Avenue, Superior, Wisconsin. Come on in and enjoy the daily drink specials, 24 tap options, and over 60 whiskeys. We promise you will not leave without a great memory or two. You're listening to Barstool Panther. Welcome back to another awesome episode of Barstool Banter. I'm your host, Dave. Uh, with me, as always, is the amazing, beautiful Nikki. Hello. And, of course, we cannot forget our very funny and talented resident bartender, Johnny. Woohoo! Hi, y'all. And uh, we absolutely cannot forget the backbone of the podcast, our editor, Kane Larson, who does an amazing job. I try. Thank you again, sir. Thanks for not making us sound like gibbering idiots every week. That's great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, with us today is Eric Freetag. He has played with uh, such bands as Sick, Ball Slashers, Gutter Skunt, and the list just goes on. Thanks for joining us today, bud. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know how we do things here on Barstool Banter. we got to have some of that uh, liquid courage down our throats before we actually get going with this podcast. Cheers, cheers to Painkiller. So, cheers. Actually, that'd be a great name for a band. Painkiller, is that out there? I'm yeah. sure there's a oh, band. Fuck. Yeah. Where you been? I'd like to go listen to a band named Down Our Throats. Working. <laughs> What's it that? Answer. I, I, don't, I don't get to go out. I get to stay in the bars while you guys play elsewhere. I feel like Painkiller was um name of band in the 90s, wasn't it? That was a Judas Priest album. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. And there have been numerous uh, Judas Priest tribute bands that have been called uh, Painkiller as well. I mean, even sending the person back for the file in the back of the brain, there's got to be a band called the Painkiller way back in the day. Yeah, there's got to be, man. If not Thrash, Proto Thrash. Somebody back in the early 80s was going, this sounds like a kick-ass name for a band. Let's do it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, well, sure there, were there mosh pits be full of pillows? Just pillow fights? <laughs> <laughs> pillow fight mosh? Actually, that'd be a fucking great thing. That'd be a great be. time, man. Inner tubes, like, man. Pool noodles and shit like that. Yeah. It's like before you go into the concert, there are vendors just selling pillows, and you spring for the $75 full body pillow with the um, duck like feathers. <laughs> if, if any of the promoters from Rockfest are listening, being that you won't let mosh pits happen in, in, the, in the pit, Let's let's consider this pillow fight idea. I, I feel like that might be like a Christian rock metal band where you have pillow fights for mosh pits. <laughs> I don't know why, but I've just envisioned like this guy that Jesus just, loves you. I, I've just envisioned a guy that beat the hell out of the pillow. pillows all over himself for the pillow mosh fit, so he could never go down. Yeah, no, I pictured a, a pillow fight breaking out, and then all of a sudden, like whole lesbian scene breaks out after the pillow fight. But that's just. Well, okay. I will be back. I, I, I will be back in about ten minutes, guys. Continue without me. <laughs> in later in the podcast, we will be releasing Nikki's uh, search history. <laughs> we oh, talked God. about that on Danielle's. That, that has got to be. A, we've got to turn that into a segment on this podcast. Is uh, let me go through your search history. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to have a a, a better um, computer person than I to look that kind of shit up, so. <laughs> yeah. I don't um, mind. So, Eric, you're a longtime musician. How many years have you been playing? Since early teens, right? Drums, I started uh, right around five or six. 
I played guitar for a bit, but I realized I was no good at it. Uh, I switched to bass for a bit. I can actually play bass to save my life. And um, there's been a uh, there's been a few bands where I've actually been frontman, vocalist, everything uh, like that too. So okay. Uh, now I had during the introduction, I mentioned a few of the bands that you had been in. Uh, what are some of the other bands that you've been a part of that uh, I've missed? I know you brought me a whole stack of CDs. Of yep. The first band I was in was shortly out of high school back in 1989. It was called Shred Fit. It was, um, I met the people through, this is sending a person back for that file way back. This is 1989. This is late Cretaceous period. I can see the uh, the Argon yeah, guy. Just... <laughs> There's dust coming out of your ears right now. Right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Was Spanish one? Nah, that's not what he's looking for. <laughs> it was our common denominator, just loving punk rock and just, uh, just, old school thrash and stuff and like we just got together and got real pissed off and just uh, started writing music um the original singer fell out of favor so i joined the band in early 1989 actually i got the call at two o'clock in the morning from the bass player uh actually was an old school chum of mine he got in the band before i did and he says hey just we're looking for a singer you want to join like this is two o'clock in the fucking morning so i'm like sitting going okay yeah damn right and that made my day. So I went down there and auditioned, and uh, I got the job. So I was a new singer for Shredfit um, in spring of 1989. And that went until that, that stayed for about two years. And uh, real life issues kicked in college, family, what have you, everything else like that. Somebody got pregnant. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. I was, I was going to generalize. I was generalizing. That is, yeah. uh, Real that's, life issues kind of kick in. and it just, that's, that's what just... kills every dreams, the parasite. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's what an unplanned pregnancy is called. You get pregnant. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first band right there. So you said you were the lead singer of that band? Mm, yes. Were you also a drummer? Drummer was the next band I was in uh, called Malignant God. That was, um, let me see, one more time. That was members of the guitar player from Shredfit. Actually uh, played bass for that band, and then we recruited two other people, the two guitar players for that band. And uh, it was a, kind of the change of the tides right there. It went from like basically like old school thrash and like death metal started rearing its ugly head. So we yeah. started to follow the trend as far as that goes like our music got a little bit more pissed off and everything else like that but we couldn't find a drummer so i assumed the role of drummer and lead singer for that band um and we kind of went along with that but the thing about it was is like everybody else as talented as they were i wasn't uh talented enough to actually hold the duties together as far as like being an articulated drummer <laughs> an articulated singer <laughs> as far as that goes so Oh man, I can understand how that's hard. You gotta, you're you're moving your hands and your fist and your tongue at the same time. It's oh like the one man orgy. It's got to be horrible. <laughs> got two sticks in your hand. So I'm yeah, trying to make all the noise work. Wait, like that, he said. No, my my question was about like what kind of trials you run into when you are the lead singer and a drummer. The, that was the question. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, without having the point man up front, you're the guy that's singing and doing everything in the background as well. That puts a lot of emphasis on the other musicians involved as well as the drummer, singer. But I think we came across all right. It's just what we did, what we wrote at the time, 
um, was extremely musical, but uh, we kind of didn't take ourselves too seriously. At, well, seriously enough at the time. So that's how Malignant God went the way of the dodo. So with, I mean, have you done that since? Uh, tried to be the lead singer and the drummer at the same time? Or? Not since then. Not before then. Not since then. Okay. So and obviously that did not work out. Well, it did and it didn't. I mean, like, I look back on it fondly because I could do both of them simultaneously. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. But um, as far as, like, being a front man and being a drummer, um, both have their own things to bring to the crowd and their own things to bring musically. And I got nothing but respect that for people that can actually ride that precipice. Yeah. I, however, couldn't. Well, just playing drums and stuff. Like, I've tried drums out, and I didn't make it past the first session. Uh, you know, just that kind of coordination is just fucking crazy. Like you had mentioned, you know, you got at times both your arms going, both your legs going, especially if you have two bass drums, uh, and you're trying to get that real good fucking metal stomp going. Uh, I couldn't imagine trying to fucking sing at the same time. To me, it was second nature, but... Like I said, to me, it was like just, it was showmanship as far as that goes, too. Because I started as a frontman, I started as a vocalist. When Malignant God started, we recruited other drummers, but they didn't really get what we wanted to do. Okay. None of them showed up with like their mom's pots and pans, right? Uh, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got with a couple bongo drums. And uh, actually, I bought a 10 piece Yamaha kit. It was like this. Beautiful fucking drum set at the time, and that's that. Can I ask you a question about, since you brought up Yamaha, we've had interesting inquiries into other Japanese companies <laughs> branching out into many other things that we had no idea. Is that the same Yamaha that does, like, jet skis and all that other kind of shit, or is it, do you have any It's the three tuning forks with each other, so you answer my questions. The three tuning forks, so maybe they... Yeah. Kind of graduated into crotch rockets and drums. No Hitachi, they graduated to crotch rockets. <laughs> Fair, all right. Don't cut nothing. Hitachi. I guess it's all related. Vibration is vibration, right? Absolutely. That right. I think is the meaning behind their uh, their symbol. Oh, all right. Because all right. of the three tuning forks. Actually, in a peace symbol, tell you the truth. But but are they the same company? All right. Send the so, man back for the file. All right. So moving away from single moms and lonely housewives, <laughs> um, is that something you would consider doing again in the future, being the lead singer as a drummer? Uh, being a lead singer, both? Yeah. No. Too much work. Too much? Would you ever? I can do it, yes. I mean, like, uh, as, as long as I know, know the song, actually, relatively, it's not that hard to do. Okay. But um, as far as, like, be, doing them both at the same time, no. I just, that's, I don't want to choose to do it. Okay. Do you feel like a band misses some of, some of the stage presence when it comes to something like that? Yes and no. Um, if you are a drummer and you're a lead singer, you have a lot to bring to the table. And there are bands out there, there are bands that have been out there for decades that have done that and have actually won the crowd over by both their drumming and, uh, by both their drumming and um, their, uh, not only vocal standpoint, but by uh, just engaging themselves to the crowd. 
And that, to me, would be the toughest thing to do in a band, even beyond the guitar, bass, keyboards, everything else like that, is like you're sitting behind a kit and you're still engaging the crowd. That commands my respect right there for anybody that can actually yeah. do that. So, hey, Is there any bands that are still out there that do have that setup to where the drummer is the lead singer and successful with it? Um, anybody who has a microphone right now, name them off. None come to mind. Yeah, that's just what I was wondering. Well, I, I remember watching Godsmack two years ago at Rockfest. Yes, when you were that, there. When yes. they did that, uh, that drum that, duel. That drum duel. That was awesome. I mean, like, it was, hair on, on the back oh. of my head and everywhere was completely. Yeah, that was uh, about a 20-minute drum duel they did. I remember that, that one. But that again, there was that no was Godsmack? There was, yes. that, that never, was Godsmack. I, I couldn't um, like, they just, attach they did, it to an actual band, but I remember being in awe of watching the, the drum duel. The, the yeah, whole shit, guy coming on stage and said, welcome, here comes Godsmack. Didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> that that oh, didn't trigger it didn't, at didn't all? Didn't trigger anything? Okay. There was what, a was lot of drums. I just remember the moments of like just really feeling the, the drums in, in your chest. Yeah. Well, like, just the difference between you at Rockfest that year and me at Rockfest that you year. You were working. I was working and I had to be sober. Wasn't that the year Gavin from Bush ran up into the uh, general admission yes. area singing? That was that year. Up to uh, the Who's on Top stage. Oh, honestly, I was I was working the Grizzly Garage, so I was. Okay. It was. It was the first year people. that we went. Yeah. Johnny was yeah. there. We ran into Johnny there. So, uh, anyway, I got I got to watch the the last few bands when the yeah. the thing that I was supposed to be doing for security closed. But at least I got to see all the the bands from a distance and was, yeah. I got to do a lot of decent people watching. That had to have been fun. That's my favorite thing about a music festival is the people watching. It really is. I don't care what festival it is. It's the people watching. You got a question for that. All right. So uh, speaking of music festivals, um, now, Eric, you've played on uh, many stages, uh, you know, bars, outdoor events, etc. cetera. Uh, what's your preferred place to play? As far as what particular venue or? Yeah. There isn't any. Uh, I prefer to play like uh, outside rather than inside. Um, they both have their positives and negatives. Uh, an outdoor festival, there's a, just uh, there's actually there's a lot more festivals. Like it just there's a vibe. There's a vibe that you don't get by playing an indoor festival, you know, or an indoor gig. Yeah. But then again, indoor gigs have their own have their own uh, vibe to them as well. So, but I prefer outdoor. Okay. There's, I imagine there's some security with the indoor gigs. You don't. Yeah, there's security anyway. I don't know. It, I don't mean like like cops security, but like weather's not a factor when you're indoors. Generally. Yes. Well, when you're talking with like a metal festival, I don't think people are gonna give a shit about rain. No, and they haven't. Yeah. And they haven't thus far. You were yeah, you are correct. Um, the damn organizers that cancel for rain. Yeah. And that's why, I, yeah, that's, that, that's the point where it is right there. It's like you get to the more major events and the organizers get in, in there because, like, they get, how do I say this? Well, let's go ahead and fucking say it. The major shows, it's just that the people can't go in there and actually be themselves. Like, they're being herded towards the ticket. Then all of a sudden they're being tor- herded towards uh, the, the camping or the tickets or, like, anything else like that. And I, I know I'm whatever but uh, just the fact is is like the smaller events are where actually people can go out there and camp and have fun and be themselves 
and not to pay like ten dollars every every time they have to go do something. That's uh, that's something that is basically lost with the more major events, and that's why I like playing the smaller events anyway. Okay. So, so do you think that larger events like that have become too scripted and too corporatized and too corporatized? Yes. Too, too less. I'd agree music, with that too. Too less about the music. Yes. And more about more about making the money. A, a yeah. glaring example was um, Boy, Wood, do I have a Woodstock place for you. 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Woodstock 1 was uh, basically there for its own existence, and a lot of people went there and had fun and everything else like that. Woodstock 2 was a glaring example of trying to make money off people. Same thing with Woodstock 99, and um, was it 2000, I think, they did it at Woodstock? Try to, anyways. Wasn't that Woodstock 2, 99? Uh, 99, yes, and then 2000, I think they tried to repeat it, but... Yep. Nobody went. Nope. Well, after the disaster that was Woodstock 99, <laughs> why would anybody else show up? No, God, no. <laughs> I was like, I had... I had, I had a, all the appeal of Fire Festival, too. Huh? <laughs> John like, Rule, John Rule's trying to get this going again still, too. I'm like, uh, man, I don't know, dude. Uh, well, it's like, in 99, I had a choice. I could have went to Woodstock, too, but I chose Weenie Roasts instead. Uh, Weenie Roast was a music festival put on by a local alternative rock station that uh, in 1999 they had, uh, what was it, Limp Biscuit Bush, any of the Seven Dust, they had like 30-some bands come out that was just amazing. And at that time I was 16 years old and, you know, kind of popped my cherry on festivals right there. There you go. Popped my cherry on other things as well, but... <laughs> Your jinkos. Whistle while you walk. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, that's what I'm here for, my man. So, is there is there a venue that you've always dreamed of being able to play? Not in particular, no. No, no. Actually, no. I'm sorry for being lackadaisical on that answer, but uh, just. there's some venues that are better than others, and I'm not trying to cover from uh, cover for the good ones. I'm not trying to. Cover for the bad ones. Uh, just the ability to play them is enough for me. But the, yes, there are some. Uh, I go back on my fucking word here, but uh, yes, there are some uh, venues that are better than others. Right. But I'm not going to name. So there's no ones bucket- that are better than others. Okay, so there's no bucket list of venues for no. you. Okay. Hey, it's something I've always wondered about musicians. It's like, you know, do they ever want to play like Madison Square Garden or Red? Oh, Rock? you meant that figuratively? Yeah. Fucking Hammersmith. Uh, all right. Where is that? Europe? Europe? Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I think like if I was still, if I still played a guitar and was actually in a band, I think like Red Rock out in Arizona. I think that's where it is, ain't it? Red Rock? I have no idea where Red Rock is. I have to Google that just one. Just out in the desert. I would love to do. Yeah, it's, it's literally okay. just out in the desert. Um, I'm it's pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> how you said that? Yeah. It's I'm sorry, dude. Hot. I thought you meant venues that like I've already played, but uh, no. I mean, just, figuratively, if yeah. I vote, yeah, tour Europe. That would drop be fucking, fucking awesome. hat. I yeah. tour Europe in a fucking heartbeat. Sweet. Yeah, I mean that'd be fucking amazing. I think. Yeah, I'd maybe follow you two on a tour. Because for some reason, they're still big over in Europe. (laughs) 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 Oh, I'm sorry, but that's on my podcast bucket list is to pick on you two and check. You hit that with an anvil, just whack. (laughs) You got to add that sound in there. Yes. (laughs) Ding. (laughs) This burn brought to you by Dave. (laughs)
Awkward silence. Yeah, I think yeah moving on. Yeah. I think it's your time own censorship. There you I go. I think it's time for a shot. I think so, too. Well, it's, uh, you know, we, we got rid of the shots on the 15. Uh, the shots on the 20 now? Or? Well, we're... Shots as we feel. Shots yeah. we feel like as it. As we want to. It's yeah. America. All right. All right. Well, chip, chip. chip Cheers. Chip. So, Eric, uh, you've played at Northern Wisconsin Metal Fest for over 15 years, correct? At Wascos? I think Wascos in, uh, yeah. Um, Where is Wascos, by the way? Lake Nebagaman. Okay. I would like to go there sometime. Yeah, so it's wonderful down there. Yeah, I've I've heard it's an amazing time. Uh, so the you know question we had is how did you get involved with that originally? Did you actually have to audition, or did you basically just agree to show up? I knew the promoter before I knew the owner of Wasco's. Uh, the promoter Aaron White, who's also in Scarred Incorporated, who's also played. Uh, he's been playing up here in different bands uh, forever before I even moved up here. And uh, him and I got to know each other and stuff like that. So the bands I was in back in the day played with Scarred. I was in John, I was in Jaundice and he was in Scarred. We just started terrorizing the local landscape here, and um, he got a gig with uh, with Wascos to do his uh, yearly Northern Wisconsin Metal Fest, which basically revolves around his birthday in September. And prior to that, he had uh, he had a, a yearly show down in Iron River. And um, that went the way the dodo. So uh, he talked to his buddy over at uh, over at Wasco's, and um, it's been there ever since. And that was back in what uh, I think 2005. I think was the first show there. Okay. And so 15 years. I mean, how many you've been in many bands over the past 15 years? Correct. Mm, Jaundice. I was in the whole time up until recently. Gutter Skunt. Toxic masculinity, noise falling. Uh, what the hell else? Reverend Pokey Bunge, I was still playing in. That was a band I was playing drums in in Minneapolis. <laughs> I love that. Prior to actually, actually, uh, the lead singer, the founder of the band, just got a hold of me today and wanted me to throw down vocals on the, on one of their uh, on their uh, newer CD that they're putting out. Actually, so that's pretty cool. Nice. There's been six or seven bands that I've been in since. Since I personally started playing at Wasco's. Okay. So, I mean, it's a hell of a time, but it uh, kind of brings me to another question Johnny was curious about. Johnny, you want to ask this about the goers at the metal festivals? Oh, yes. Uh, so, honestly, I haven't been to uh, too many music festivals or whatnot. I've, uh, you know, are you just use my Corona bottle as a chew toy? Yeah, you have something in your pocket. Thank you. <laughs> Do you? God, that's good for radio. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, he's putting that mouth, in. He's putting he's putting his mouth on my Corona. <laughs> my. And now I'm gonna drink it. All right. Uh, so yes. Anyway, this is how it starts. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I did some security work at Rockfest, and I saw some interesting individuals like giant dude wearing a baby diaper with a rattle i remember him yeah and you know like where was this at lady uh, rockfest just i was working security at rockfest okay down in where's that Kadot. 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 yeah Kadot. Kadot. and you know like lady with like duct tape across her nipples and blood on a leash and then like I totally met a scoop Also Steve, was leading yeah. another guy with dressed as a gimp who was crawling around and just interesting fucking people that rock music actually brings about. So 
What are some of the more interesting sort of groups or characters that you've seen while doing some of these music festivals? Lots of alcohol abuse. Well, obviously, but... That was a precursor. I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. Cheers. Clank, 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 clank. By the way, I'm not drinking technically, if any of my doctors are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Your anyway, question, you're, so, actually, you, no, like, just, interest, interesting people that just like you, you show up and it's like, oh, God, you're all dressed up like fucking guar. That's oh, fucking weird. God. Or like, you know, you got to have seen you, you've been doing music festivals for 15 years. Like, what's the most interesting people you've seen as far metalheads? That's it. There's nobody that actually goes outside of like just of themselves other than the musicians themselves. True, but there's the T-shirt and the jeans with the shirt. That's it. That's it. Like, there's no... As, as far as the crowd goes? Yeah. What they wear is not the context of their character. What they do actually is. Um, that's good, too. And, and, and that's good or bad. What's some of the more interesting things you've seen, then, What if there's not any interesting... Uh, Are you thinking of like everybody like dresses up like Guar and goes to these shows? Oh no no no! no I'm they not... don't have the fucking money for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I'm doing to pay for the tickets. That's not what I'm saying at all. But somebody who stands out in a somebody crowd. stands out in a crowd who's just like doing something like those wow, are the people that's that fucking... scream their ass off and love the fucking show. That those those are the people that actually stand out. So those I... are the people that earn their goddamn ticket to go in there yeah. and shit like that. Those are the people that are having a good time. Right. So that, that kind of leads me to another question, because I've loved metal since I bought my first fucking Edge of Sanity album. You know, it goes back to early You 90s. actually like Edge of Sanity? Yes. I'm sorry. Hey, it's okay. No, man. no, dude, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, that's going way back in the fucking day. And, um, it, it, metal shows that I've been to, it's like you can always tell the people who don't belong there. I mean, are you able to, when you're up on the stage, can you look out in the crowd and be like, yeah, that motherfucker doesn't belong here. He's just trying to impress his friends. I don't look at it like that. Uh, As far as like belonging or not belonging, everybody belongs there. Okay. Unless they prove themselves otherwise. Everybody's there to have a good time. Yep. Everybody paid the ticket. Everybody's going there and having a good time. If you're going to go go do in there and be, if you're going to go in there and be an asshole, you're getting kicked out. In either case, we got your money. There we go. Capitalism so it's at just, its finest. Well, just <laughs> the thing about it is, if, if you pay your way in and you're being an, if you're an asshole about it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But the thing about it is, we want everybody there to have a good time. Right. Okay. So how about like uh, the crowd surfing thing? I mean. Is that is that something that happens in uh, the northern Wisconsin Metal Fest? It's I mean, happened a couple times. There's not enough people in the crowd to actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like male pattern baldness. It's like, oh, gotcha. Oh, no. Oh, you fell. No. It's um, why I would never crowd surf right there. I did it once, and I was lucky. I didn't land on the floor below. But that was at a Slayer show where it was like thousands of people and everything else like that. But uh-huh. um, for the shows that I played at, you crowd surf, people look out for you and everything else like that. It's like mosh and uh, whatever. There's not enough people out there. Actually, sometimes there is. Sometimes there was. Sometimes there's a lot of fucking people out there. It got fucking pretty nuts, to tell you the truth. What was your initial question? I'm sorry. The, the, the crowd surfing aspect of, you know, like large shows and things of that nature. 
like you know how normal you know festivals at this point in time kind of discourage that and whatever else you know is is that something that you can still do in some of the smaller ones like at Wasco's I think if people are concerned about it they should sign a waiver on the way in yeah otherwise they should do know exactly what they're getting themselves into it's like a uh, problem we found um I'm not going to, well, fuck it. I've blasted this festival many times. Uh, the problem we found at Rockfest is, you know, they just don't allow it anymore. They don't allow moshing or anything like that or crowd surfing. And like you had mentioned, a fucking waiver. Like set aside a fucking place to people who sign that waiver. Because that's what a lot of people want to do when they go out there. Yeah, and there are a lot of bands that call Rockfest out on it. It's like, you mo- we know y'all can't fucking mosh because of the people who do this, but let's at least see you jump in the air or something like that. Because a lot of bands fucking feed off that. I'm not going to name any bands that feed off breaking other people's bones, but you know, there's a lot of bands that do feed they off don't, of it. No bands want to see that, no, but they but want to see that sort of reaction from the people. Yeah, Seriously? It's like Cannibal Corpse, Napalm Death. Believe it or not, <laughs> they. I've been in both of those mosh pits. So have I. <laughs> so have I, and uh, there is a rule within the pit. If you see somebody go down, you take care of them. It's like we ain't out there. They ain't out there to actually kick each other's ass. They're out there to enjoy the music. Yeah, but you always get that one shithead that's just, like, out there to, like... There's more than one. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, there's, there's yeah, usually yeah. a handful of them. And those are the assholes that need to get kicked out. And in my, my, my experience with, no, with, rock, with rock concerts is when that asshole has been identified, the crowd just... It parts. It actually, it actually shows the person that actually was being an asshole. And yeah. uh, that's it. And I've seen that in every pit that I've ever been in. Some of the most violent pits I've ever been in have actually been punk pits rather than metal pits. Agnostic Front, I've seen like just in, in, in First Avenue, it's like there's been like three different pits that actually, dude, it was like, it looked like a fucking, I have no idea. It looked like chaos personified and stuff like that. But still, they held their own. When everybody, everybody fell, Boom, they picked them up. When anybody was acting like an asshole, oh. boom, they fucking and got that, them out of And that's supposed to be part of the music community. That's supposed to be part yes. of the metal exactly. punk community. And that is you, how, yeah. The rock exactly. and metal community lifts themselves up. Yeah, I've been, we, we I've been picked up. up in a few pits, um, which is awesome. Usually you know, when, I'm, when you're picked up, normally you just want to fucking go to the outside of the pit. Because if you fucking go down, yeah. yeah, if you go down, yeah, you, especially if you get you got, what, you got all of a sudden, like, depending on the size of the pit, you got 10, 15, 20 people about yes. ready to fucking fall on you. But then you know, some of, there's other people that actually stop and boom, they pick you up and shit like that. Nope. And they, they push you off to the side. I remember uh, my first pit was Napalm Death. I was 17 years old. They played at Ziggy's in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, man, that whole fucking venue was just a pit. And dude, I fucking went down. Got stomped twice, and the two people who accidentally stomped me did pick me up. And I was just like, yep, I'm fucking done. I'm going right out here. But, you know, a hell of a fucking show. Then Cannibal Corpse, I was ready a year later. Some of the most, like, I've been to so many random concerts. Like, I went from New Kids on the Block, Backstreet Boys, to Rockfest, to, like, my my music is all over Uh, the fucking place. And I will say... uh, 
Sorry. I mean, like, okay, born in the 80s. The, the slack in the jaw, 90s. everything right there. Oh, my God. No, have no, you my been? My music taste is all over the fucking have place. Have you been the in most... a new kids on the block mosh pit? No, but my point. You could go start one. My point. I'm going to throw a rock at you guys, but my point. I, I love music, period. Yes. Doesn't matter the genre. I love music. If it sounds good, if you have talent, I like it. But the most respectful crowd that I have ever experienced has been at, like, rock and metal concerts. There, there's, like, a solidarity. There's a, a, you know. Yes. I'll say brotherhood. Hey, there really is. You know, rock there and is. metal. There is. It's the rock and metal family. It you doesn't have to be brotherhood. You it's, don't it's get it at any other type of concert. You really don't. Like, I've been to. Well, sure, you, you get it at, you know. Country, but they're literally family. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but respect to the the rock and metal crowd. Absolutely, amazing human beings, and not partaking in incest. I mean, well, we don't know. You might partake in incest, <laughs> but it's <laughs> the first time I've heard you laugh. You sound like a like a like a dolphin. Sound like that was funny. I don't give a shit. That was wonderful. All right, so we're going to uh, dive into something. Now, you have, you've given me a stack of CDs, uh, six of them from six different bands. Now, it kind of brings me into the, uh, the metal bands and how they name stuff, you know, with the creative names for their bands and songs. Uh, where do you, what is the inspiration for some of the weird names that you have? So, like, one of the... Uh, bands that you were part of was gutter skunt gutter skunt was my not my name but uh gutter skunt was actually a very provocative name by uh the singer um basically what he wanted to do is uh, grab people's attention and uh keep it and uh gutter skunt was as far as far as like uh respecting for that goes he hit the nail on the head as far as like uh as far as like being provocative as far as like having a, a just a, just as far as like getting people's attention and pissing them off, okay. Because Gutterska couldn't have been a better name for that, and uh, that was a lot of fun actually playing for that band, and uh, just just for what we were doing. Not to mention for everything that we were doing in that band, as far as like just punk rock. But then again, we had a like uh, we had a lot of like blues and country origins and stuff like that too. Just like we kind of brought all of that to light. Okay. So that's what it was. We did it to piss people off, and uh, we succeeded. So what's one of the more creative, uh, we'll go with a song name, that you've helped create? Cock off the cocksucker. <laughs> Cock off the cocksucker. And that one I wrote. Um, There's so many uh, layers on that. The Cock off the cocksucker, actually, uh, I wrote, the. Uh, I didn't write the lyrics to... But I wrote the music too, and um, actually we recorded it over at Norm's. It went from inception to recording in less than half an hour. So a half hour. That's impressive. Yes. That is impressive. And it's probably one of the most chaotic songs I've ever had. I've ever been privy to actually creating and or recording. Also, I miss Norm's. Oh, the Ball Slashers, okay. Um, So with with this one right here, the Ball Slashers was the name of... uh, Name of the band. The name of this particular album that we have here for you was uh, Karen. Yep. 
Uh, now, does that have any relation to the the term of Karen that we have? Negative. Days? Actually, the ball slashers came from uh, basically Duluth. What we wanted to do was create a band name from like something like local noir, like something that was in the something that was in the news. And turns out a local gentleman a gentleman happened to like break into um, local health clubs and like do things with fucking uh, <laughs> whatever with the exercise balls with the exercise balls <laughs> and like just it just we said boom that was a turns out that was the exact week that we were looking for a band name and god bless him uh, he blessed us with a band name i did work out at that gym when that was actually happening and that the ball slashing yeah yeah so I, I did meet the ball slasher and i was there one night when he was let out in handcuffs or whatever so it's yeah you were actually present i was actually present for uh the guy that got his jollies off of slashing the uh the pilates balls is that actually what they're called pilates balls yeah that actually what he went after the the big ass yeah the the big ass pilates balls the, the okay the things that people like run at each other and then you know do the sumo wrestler thing and then they fly out their parents window and then you know, they're not allowed to have parties there anymore. Yeah, those, those things. <laughs> those, those, yeah. Pilates no, I was, I was actually there when that dude got arrested and was, was banned from um, the Essentia Healthcare Gym, which was Center for Personal Fitness. I was, I was shocked that somebody got their jollies off of popping them sons of bitches and running off. It was his thing. I met so him. were we, but uh, under, under the circumstances, we were looking for a name for the band and... Uh, God damn it. Timing hit perfectly and the name stuck. All right. So uh, another one that we have here is sick. S-I-C. S-I-C, yes. Uh, You know, on here, got some decent sounding songs. Now, what, uh, obviously this is metal, right? Where'd you come up with the name for this band? The bass player came up for the name for this one. S-I-C in parentheses is like uh, said in context. Okay. What we wanted to do was like have a nondescript name for the band. That the name for the band was nondescript. It's like basically us going up on stage and like proving it that way. Okay. It was a non-image. What we wanted to do was like pr- proclaim ourselves musically and not have an image otherwise. And um, oh, in I- retrospect, we proved that. Well, so uh, going on that, um, this one seems rather specific. Uh, the Sons of Northern Drunkenness. From Jaundice, yes. Yes. Jaundice, uh, Jaundice was a name that I came up with, was basically just, like I said, every good band name must come from a good concept, and Jaundice is a morbid liver disease. Absolutely. And people got on me about this, like, oh, well, my baby had Jaundice, my baby had just, well, a lot of people's babies have Jaundice because their livers haven't figured out yet what, what my conception of that was more hilarious wise is like at the other side of life when your liver gives up when you drink too fucking much and uh, that's that's yeah. that's where we came up with it you know so um and it's a great and, logo i like it yeah uh that's actually from henry young i uh, which was the original guitar player from jaundice uh, as a matter of fact uh, i joined when he was still in the when he was still in the band it was still called pustule at the time when I moved to Duluth from Minneapolis, I put an ad in the reader. I'm like, going, hey, I'm a vocalist looking for a looking for a uh, death metal grindcore band up here." And they answered. He has since moved to uh, uh, North Dakota. Has since moved to Fargo. 
has since created a rather lucrative uh, uh, graphics uh, business for himself, but he came up with that logo. So while we're on the, you know, on band names, is there a band name that you've came up with that you thought was just a very creative name but got shot down by other band members? You're sending the guy back for the file on that one. That's what we do here on Barstool Banter. <laughs> Ask another question. I'll, I'll come back to this one. Ask or, or how about off, off the top of your head, do you think that uh, there, there would be a band name that you would want, you would want to come out there? Do you, have any, yeah, do you have any band names in the hopper? The band names are all in the hopper. I'll tell you what, I will yell them out as Tourette syndrome as they possibly can get from now on. <laughs> but yeah, you you just sent the you just sent the man back for the file on that one. It's just yeah, there is there's plenty of band names that I would fucking love to come up with along with a concept behind them, but um right now they're just they're escaping me. Names are tough. I mean we yeah. we do it for sports and whatnot, like our sports nickname nick nicknames and nicknames. Nick's names. Nick's names. Um, the, I believe that the back of my shirt, like, I, we play volleyball and we come up with funny names. Well, case um, in point, would, actually, this this would be a good one. My shirt currently says I don't know, because I couldn't come up with anything. So that's what got <laughs> clever. That's what got printed on my shirt. Like, it's I'm, tough. I'm 37 years old. I'm still trying to come up with a nickname for myself. I've got one. That's why other people have nicknames for you. I, you I'm, don't have to come up with. Yeah, I, I, I want to shoot one off you guys. <laughs> Carnosaurus. I've been thinking of a nickname for myself for 37 years. Tell me what you think. Dennis. <laughs> Dennis? I can see you as a Dennis. No. <laughs> Dennis the Menace. It took me a long time to wrap my brain around ra- uh, dating a guy named Dave. I'm not going to change it to Dennis. Uh, well, I mean, I've got a shot in front of me. Everybody else does. Yes, we do, don't we? So I think it's uh, it's about time to move on to the bread and butter here on Barstool Banter, and that is drinking stories. Uh, so I'm going to give you to the time that we down these shots to come up with your most memorable drinking experience. So cheers. Cheers. Before we do that, though, one band name just came to mind. Ooh, sweet. One concept for a band name came to mind. A name for a gore grind band called Purvis's Folly. Now, Purvis, I, I forget what his first name was, but actually it was the first recorded belch on the radio. I love it. <laughs> and it was, it was dubbed Purvis's Folly. It's just somebody just like sitting there was talking all of a sudden like this, like they called it Purvis's Folly because it was the first on-air belch ever recorded. <laughs> So I thought that any gore grind band out there who sounds that way anyway. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. No fucking offense. But uh, just, yeah, I think that would be a great name for a band. That's one of many. It's much more clever than yeah. just calling your band Belch. So, there's uh, been, yeah, there's been that. So to back up the history that he just told us, the first radio Belch by... Melvin Purvis, there you go. There, there we go. Head of the Chicago office of the FBI, won fame for leading manhunts, apprehended Babyface Nelson, John Dillinger. Uh, but according to legend, he also achieved notoriety, the first person ever to belch on national radio. There you go. So yeah, future gore grind bands, Purvis's Folly. There you go. Uh, oh, I need a beer. Uh, oh, that was weak. Oh, Done. shit. Right. Pussy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was fucking amazing, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
was a great fucking belch, that love. That was very relieving. So, back to our bread and butter. Your most memorable drinking experience. I don't remember any of them because they were that memorable. Oh or God, immemorable, it's, it's I like guess. A constant answer on this podcast. I don't remember them. I the most enjoy- memorable drinking part, well, non-drinking or drinking, the first one that comes to mind was when we were playing the Milwaukee Metal Fest. Uh, I was a drummer for... Uh, the Reverend Pokey Buns at the time, we played the relapse stage. This is back in 19, shit, 1997 or 8. And we played in front of a packed room. And I have uh, Don Decker to thank for this. The late, the late great Don Decker to, uh, to thank for this is because he put us on that stage. And we played in front of, a, uh, we played in front of like uh, a packed room. The thing about it is, is like uh, the Reverend Pokey Bunge is more or less like an image-related band. Well, see, the thing, backing it up a bit, the Reverend Pokey Bunge, the reason why I joined, A, because like uh, just I appreciate and respect all the musicians involved, B, because our mission at the time, if not now, was to kill fame entirely, was to kill fame and turn it into infamy. I.e., we fucking turned it on its on its side. Okay. That was that was our gig. Um, we thumbed our nose at like anything that was like just made that that was uh, music purely for the reason to make money. And sometimes sometimes we're diametric opposite to that. And that's what I fucking dug about it. But uh, we created a lot of shit of ourselves. But uh, getting back to the show. All of the members in front of all the audience were wearing, everybody in the band was wearing diapers. And that's all they were wearing. Did you utilize the diapers? No, because I chafe when I wear diapers. When I was playing drums. I.e. because, like, well, if I was wearing diapers. It's weird that you know this. No, I did it. I tried it. (laughs) It doesn't matter. And it just, it didn't matter to me because like nobody saw what I was doing anyway. So whatever, I could have played naked, which I have done too. So we got done to rousing fucking crowd applause. I mean, like they fucking all dug what the hell we were doing and the reason why we were doing it. But our guitar player wanted to go see the uh, club promoter. Now, granted, we're in the middle of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we're at the Eagles Club in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The place is fucking huge. And he's in nothing but his diapers and his fucking shoes. And he goes and disappears. He goes, I'm going to go talk to the fucking promoter about some shit. And uh, so we were sitting there, like, just bullshitting everything else like that, taking our stuff back on the, off the stage. And all of a sudden, all the crowd goes quiet. And the crowd fucking parts. And in comes our guitar player again and shit like that, wearing nothing but diapers and tennis shoes and shit. And we go, did you talk to the promoter? He goes, I can't find them anywhere. (laughs) Nobody else understood what the hell he was doing, but he was like walking around the entire fucking venue with nothing but his fucking diapers and his fucking shoes. And at the time, it's like, go, we'll figure it out. None of us had any fucking... Thing about what him wearing fucking adult diapers and like tennis shoes going out to talk to the gentleman, but he comes back and like just everybody else had a fucking problem with it. Why? Because <laughs> why? <laughs> <laughs> that was a memorable concert right there. Yeah. 
I'm just like you did ask for a memory. Yeah. I'm just asking why did people have a problem with it? You know? I don't know. Well, the bathrooms are probably clean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> just saying. Like, I guess in respect for that is like uh, we went off the stage with what we had rather than just being on the stage. He didn't change his clothes to go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I respected the most about the Reverend Punky Buns right there because it wasn't just an image. We were up there to piss people off, and we did it the same. We did the same thing off the fucking stage. Why? Because we believed in what we were doing. Uh, absolutely. And that was well, that was turning fame into infamy. That's, that's what matters when it comes to a band. It's like you know, are they just like that when it comes to public image, or are they like that all the fucking time? Are they true to their word? That's a good point right there. Are you the same person off stage yes. as you are on stage? And uh, I've never differentiated the two. Who I am on stage is who I am off stage. Yeah, there are a lot of bands out there that, yeah, do put on a front on stage and in the public eye, but. You and know. all of a sudden he retreats off to his bus or some kind of shit yes. like that. Yes. No, I don't respect those people. Those are the people who are just in it for the fucking money or the fame or something like that. Or it's just a Halloween costume to them. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe they started out that way and then migrated. It grew to be too big. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or it grew to be like a, a money thing for them. Yeah. You have anything else to add to that? Well, when it comes down to it, I mean, fame and pussy. <laughs> when it comes down to <laughs> getting big, I mean, y- y- you change your... There's so many innuendos there. It, no, there's not. It's, that's not even any. No, no, I'm just saying it, it. When it comes down to it, like you, you, I heard it. You, you get to a point Thank where you. it's not about the music anymore. It's about the it's it's about the money. It's Commercialism. About it's about the yeah. It's it's about making it big. Music business is inherently oxymoronic, or it's an art form. Can I ask you one question about so what band would you say that does not adhere to that like they are in it just for the music just for the crowd just for making people happy i will answer that in uh, two separate instances one is aerosmith right around rock and a hard place love Aerosmith. all right why because their internal turmoil and the drugs they made the music that they did forced off of their internal turmoil that was fucking outstanding. Pantera, the great Southern trend kill, was the best album as far as I'm concerned right there. Why? Because it entailed their internal turmoil right there. It was honest. Real. It was real. It was real. Those are my instances right there. But other than that, fuck them. No, I don't know. Fuck them. No, actually, no. If, if you wanted a further one, uh, Pink Floyd, The Final Cut. Um, yeah. Just uh, that was internal turmoil. If you want, The Wall was internal turmoil. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Rumors? Rumors. Rumors, man. It was fucking yes. ridiculous. Actually, yeah, that's, oh that's another God. good example. You are correct. That's where the honest music comes through right there. Not as like saying, well, we're all in like whatever. It's just that music comes from the heart. And if the heart spills disdain and everything else like that, the message still, the message still comes out. Right on, Nate. So, you know, we touched base on your memorable. Obviously, there's got to be a regrettable 
drink and experience. There's plenty. <laughs> it doesn't have to be those of which, related. Yeah, I, like we've all drank in Superior, Wisconsin. Like I'm sure you've had memorable and or regrettable. You just go with like local stories. I don't know. As far as me, regrettable stories. Yeah. There's plenty. There's not actually that shit. Um, I sprained both my wrists in a b- bizarre p- pizza preparing accident <laughs> after going to the bar. Actually, no, that was, um, what the hell is that goddamn beer that comes out once a year, right around the, uh, January, 10.5%, uh, Hop Slam. I drank that like it was Budweiser, and I went home and tried oh. to prepare some pizzas, and um, let's just say... Not good. It was not good. Not good. So people have to be... No, there's no morals to this. There's no morals to this. Kind of. You you can kind of throw a moral onto this. I mean, you could. You're drinking a beer. So you're drinking a beer. And a 10.5%. When you say, I only had one beer, but your beer was 10.5%. There's gravity beer that's 10.5% too, but it's also diesel fuel. Right. And it makes you want to go fight with inanimate objects. The thing about that beer is, is like going, this is good shit. And all of a sudden you wake up, all of a sudden you stand up to go home and the world starts fucking spinning fucking degrees at you. It's like, that's, that's the way that night was. Yeah. So you have to be a little bit educated to know what you're drinking. A thing that you can't really gauge your drunkenness because that's higher. ABV. Thank you. That's higher than a normal beer. So you can't just say like, oh my God, I only had... Three beers, but three beers versus three beers at ten and a half percent is going to get you drunker than you normally. Right. Do. So that was the answer to that question, right there. Okay. There we go. Wow, way to derail everything, Johnny. Jesus. Well, sorry, I was I brewing a burp because I just wanted to. Apparently. Now, were you recording rock, this for metal. the show, or is he just listening to this on the headphones? No, it's just going to be in. the... In the yeah, in the back. background. Oh, okay. And this is uh, Boss Slasher's Karen. Out. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I still got a lot of stuff I'd like to talk about. Well, what what about what about your work? Are you most proud of? In the last thirty years, uh, being both the front man and lyricist, and uh, just actually my entire track record, I'm completely proud of. Because to me, it's an art. Correct. So I'm more than happy about that. And I did, I would like to say right now, I'd like to give a fucking uh, shout out to like everybody I've actually played with and shared the stage with to Absolutely. tell you the truth. Because it's been 31 years since I, since I started doing this stuff and I've played with some of the fucking best people that I've ever played with in my fucking life. Tell you the truth. And they've showed me a lot of different shit, a lot of different shit musically. And uh, just, it's, it's been a hell of a ride. That's all I got to say. Maybe this. As a bartender, I, I, I look at somebody who's better than me in one aspect or another, and I try to emulate what they've done, and I try to make that my own. Correct. But what have you done uh, musically when it comes to that? As far as being a showman, uh, I watch the people that I went to go see as a kid like Bruce Dickinson with Iron Maiden or like even like closer to closer to home, um, Jim Odegaard from Disturbed or anything else like that, like way back in the day, 
I emulated myself as far as a front man after them. Why? Because they got the crowd involved in what they were doing. They were the showmen. As far as drums go, time signatures and everything else like that were key, especially when I was playing drums and singing at the same time. I experimented with sevens and fives and everything else like that. I didn't just go back there and like play ACDC beats, nothing against ACDC, you fucking whatever. But it's just, I did the best I could with what I had. And I continue to do the best I can with what I can, as far as artwork goes. So you're saying you're more or less self-taught? Yes. When it comes to things of that nature. I'm sorry, real quick, me and Kane have to have a quick debate. ACDC sucks. You are wrong. They suck. No, are we going to have the first bar suck. fight on Barstool Banter? <laughs> ACDC does not suck. Why? Because they like have ACDC. their own formula. They have their own formula. They They're instantly it. identifiable. Absolutely. And this is where everybody's just going to fucking hate me because I've never respected ACDC. You should probably leave right now, Dave. I probably should. You should leave your own podcast. I've been kicked off. Now, granted, I never grew up... <laughs> Listening to ACDC, I grew up listening to Rush and Kansas and stuff like that, but I still understand ACDC's mantra because nobody else could do what they did. Everybody else can actually emulate what they uh, just could actually copy what they did. If ACDC but they didn't did. do what they did, some other band would have stepped in and done that. But they wouldn't do it as genuinely as ACDC did. They were the first ones that did it. Pioneers. They were pioneers of what they did. And Whether I, you're a fan or not, you can pinpoint an ACDC song when they're, if you have any kind of. Hey, we're going to be talking about like Nickelback in like 20 years of. Oh, fuck that. them. Bring oh, them uh, fuck off, all right? I'm just saying. But I mean, I'm just <laughs> saying. You can, but everybody knows their music. That's the, like Nickelback. ACDC, especially. Most people hate Nickelback, but you can you can pinpoint a Nickelback song. Everybody knows a Nickelback yeah, song. Yeah, I know when to turn Everybody the radio off. All yes. of the words to Nickelback songs, whether you have good or bad feelings about ACDC, everybody knows ACDC. Everybody knows songs by them. They may not realize that there are ACDC songs, but you know who they are, whether you listen to whatever genre you listen to. Her initial to. point is correct. If you get it to the point where, like, actually somebody can name your, name your song in one note, you've done the right thing, commercial or not. It's, you did a good job at what you were doing. Whether you hit it commercially or not. You've hit the right song. It, that song found its niche to not even hit the niche. masses. Well, they were the progenitor of whatever sort of genre or whatever. Like, you could say the same thing about Nirvana. You could say the same thing about, you know... Tons of other bands. Yeah. When it comes down to it, yeah, they were the first to do it. So when other people kind of copied that formula, they became cliche, which is wrong. When they are the progenitor of what that was or what that music was, you kind of look at them as something that it, like Metallica is the same fucking way. When you, you're like, oh, it's Metallica. They weren't great since... The black and the black out back yeah yeah <laughs> before that yeah, yeah. <laughs> before that <laughs> no I think blackened um, I think it does definitely don't say that um, load was an awesome album I will punch you in the face the thing about Metallica was is that they got told by the producer yeah. to play a certain way yes or else they would lose their recording contract yep. so where is the musical integrity at that point. No, there is not. It's completely lost. Yep. 
Comes out of the money. Yep. Yeah. Comes to, you know, selling out and doing. But I will say this. I did listen to Death Magnetic. I didn't even know that album existed until about a year ago. Death Magnetic by Metallica? Yes. And that, to me, is a logical successor to Injustice for All, tell you the truth. Despite all the load, reload, pant load, everything else like that. Or even St. Anger or whatever. It was just... <laughs> Death Magnetic is a logical successor to Injustice for All. It's actually intelligently written. There's a lot of really good songs on that one. No, yeah, actually, I've never So when it comes down to it, either. when you're, uh, you're an original band and you're playing when you're not famous then you become famous. You See, have an interesting you, question, you, you, you actually. Ex- there's a lot of bands that, uh, there's a lot of people in bands that I've talked to that like want to start playing other people's music. That way they get their name and uh, get equity to play their own stuff. Me, I've taken the other step is just basically playing your own and just getting, getting recognized that way. Um, in the last 30 years, both have their own ups and downs, basically. If you play somebody else's music to a T, that's my opinion as far as like being an original writer of music. And yes, we do covers of other people's music, but we don't, we're not a cover band. I've never been in a cover band. And there's a difference between a cover band and a tribute band. A cover band is just basically like just playing other, other people's to a T. A tribute band is playing other people's music in, in your own, you know, just the way you respect them. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I, I think my absolute favorite, <laughs> you make it your own. You do the song, but you make it your own. That would be a trip. Well, it depends on the concept of what you're talking about. So, uh, See, like, uh, it, what was, like, uh, I knew a bunch of people from the cities that played in a band that they're playing at a King Diamond, King Diamond Merciful Fate cover band. And they did it their own way. As a matter of fact, like the person, the singer came up there instead of like a big cross and stuff like that, he had a big balloon cross, but he could still sing King Diamond's vocals perfectly. And the band could still play everything perfectly. And they didn't mock, but they like basically like paid homage to everything. And they were called Kid Diamond. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was fucking beautiful. Here's another case in point. The Misfits had an all- morbidly obese band named after them and it was called the Misfats and it was the, the name of their album was called Waddle Among Us it was fucking beautiful and, and they, I was thinking they, they bought well, all their stuff from TJ Maxx like the Misfits like I mean <laughs> okay you're going there okay regular. but yeah the, the original really punk funny. band the original punk band they had they had the fucking they had like the whole like I figure with like the devil lock in front there but they were all morbidly obese and they called themselves the Misfats. And so they, they were they were the tribute band. They they were not a cover band at all because no, they, they were, were actually trying band. to represent. They played They played It's, it's like songs. the Iron Maidens, like the, the all girl. Another classic example right there. All female tribute to Iron Maiden, and they did a fucking fantastic job. They nailed every fucking yes, song. Did. Yes, they did. Right. Um, unfortunately, we have ran out of time. So with the final shot. I'm Dave. I'm Nikki. I'm Johnny. I'm Kane. Guest star Eric. Thank, Thank you. Running us, Eric. It's been an amazing Cheers. time.
Our bar service is provided by on-the-fly local bar service professionals. If you are a bar owner in need of a professional to fill in on-the-fly or plan in a private event, please contact Johnny McGee at 218-349-8931. Service at its best, a fill-in at your request. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider donating to Barstool Banter by visiting patreon.com backslash Barstool Banter or follow the links in the About section of our Facebook page, Twin Ports Barstool Banter. And thank you for your patronage.